my name is Chris. Uh, my wife is up front here. Her name is Rose. My kids just left, um, but I have, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming they're just fine. Um, so I have a daughter. She's 11, and her name is Susanna, and then we have our son, and he is going to be turning nine in just a few days, um, and his name is Austin, and you can identify him. He's wearing a very bright orange sweatshirt jacket type thing. It's uh, his soccer team in Spain that he plays for, and so he's kind of sporting the, the pride there for the day with his soccer team. Uh, anybody in this room play soccer? Do we have any kids playing soccer on soccer teams, stuff like that? Yeah? Great. How, how long is your soccer season? I'm curious. Two or three months? Two or three months? Okay. He hasn't even started yet. Okay. So my son, this is, soccer is big in Spain. It's their major thing. My soccer, or my soccer, my son's season starts in September and ends in June. That's the soccer season down there. So he gets two months off. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's how important it is over there in Spain. So uh, for those of you, again, who don't know us, we uh, serve in Spain. Uh, we're in a town called Alcalá de Henares currently, uh, which is just uh, east of uh, Madrid. And we've been serving there for four years um, in a church plant that was actually started by co-workers of ours, Rich and Cindy Brown. Some of you may know them. And uh, so we've been there for four years, and we've watched that church grow. We've watched that church uh, appoint its national pastor, whose name is Miguel Angel, and he has been a fantastic pastor. We've uh, enjoyed seeing him grow into his role uh, as pastor of that church. And so, uh, but the time has come for us uh, with that to move on to a new location, And so we had an opportunity presented to us um, from other co-workers of ours who are retiring. They live out in a town called Cabanillas del Campo, which is a a little bit farther east outside of Madrid. And uh, they said, you know, we're retiring, but we have a national pastor who's in our church plant, but he needs help. He needs help because he's really all, he's all by himself. And so we thought about it, we prayed about it, and we met with them. And so when we go back to Spain in January, we will be moving to Cabanillas del Campo to start with another church plant, and we'll be working with Fede and Lucia and their family and uh, hoping to grow this little tiny church plant that we have now uh, into a church plant that has uh, church leadership, that has uh, discipling, that has people being sent out to places around it who are reaching people for the gospel. So that is our hope. That is our desire. Uh, people ask me all the time, do you like it in Spain? I'm like, put me on a plane today and I'll go back, man. I love it there. I'm ready to go back. I love my new adopted home of, of Spain. I love the people there. Uh, so yeah, we're back here to uh, share what's been going on, but also we have some support that we need to raise. We're about $2,000 shy. And uh, so if you feel that you would love to support us, we would love to partner with you, and you can talk about uh, that with us afterwards if you like. <clears throat> and that's all I'll say about that. The only other thing, because we have new people here, I'm the president of the board for the school there. And once again, I want to promote the school. We need teachers. We need staff. We need people who want to serve at a missionary school. And a lot of you, some of you may have teaching experience. You might have administrative experience. 
You might have maintenance experience, IT experience, all those sorts of things. Those are all things that are very useful at the school there. Um, it is a, a school for missionary kids primarily, uh, but we do have kids from all over the world. Um, Koreans, Chinese, Spaniards, of course, different parts of Europe, all over the place. All the classes are taught in English because it's an American school on Spanish soil. Uh, so again, if you heard that and you're a teacher or an admin and you're like, ooh, that sounds amazing, I'd love to do that, please come see me. Uh, I would love to put you in touch with the right people and uh, get somebody. We're also looking for school directors. So if you've ever been a school director, I'm the one who hires that person. All right? I'm a pretty nice guy, so come up and meet me. I'd love to hear from you. All right? We'd love to ha have somebody who's interested in that. All right. That's kind of those things out of the way. And uh, so today, I, I wanted to talk to you about reconciliation. And Probably not exactly for the reasons you're thinking, right? Uh, I think we hear reconciliation and we immediately talk about, well, I guess we're going to find out how we reconcile with each other when, we, when things go wrong. And yes, that's a bit of it. Um, but I'm hoping I can, I can show you something that's a bit of a new direction as we look into God's Word here. So if you could all turn to the book of Philemon. <clears throat> to the book of Philemon. And I know that's a hard one to find because it's really only one piece of paper in your Bible. It's one page, and it's very small. I'll give you some time. Most, some of you are going to use your phones, so that makes it super easy. And that's also cheating. But <laughs> if you have uh, your Bible, you know, this is about how much is left when you find it. That gives you a rough idea. Okay? It's just before Hebrews. That's a little bit bigger, so that might help. Now, most of us in the building probably know, but some of us may, may not, but the Bible is made up, a lot of the New Testament is, are, are letters, okay? They're, they're letters that people wrote, either to individuals or to churches, okay? So Philemon, which on the surface is a strange name for a book, is a letter to who? Oh, Philemon, wow, well, you know, well, that's amazing. Okay, yeah, so it's a letter that was written to a man named Philemon, okay? Now, all of the numbers and stuff that you see added into all these things were added later, okay? So if there's anybody who is kind of new to the Bible, people did not write back then by putting numbers in the middle of all of their letters, you know, one, I'm going to write this much, two, da -da -da. they didn't do that. Okay, we added, that was added later to help us find our place when we're looking for something. Okay, that's how we get our chapters and verses. Okay, a lot of you are like, man, this guy's really going back into some basics here. Okay, but this is important for us to know because what I'm going to do today is we're just going to read this. This is a nice short letter. Okay, uh, just be grateful I didn't pick something longer because I'm going to read the whole letter. Okay. And we're just going to leave. We're not going to worry about numbers. We're not going to worry about any stuff. We're just going to read it as a letter because that's exactly what it is. All right? All right. So here we go. Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our, our uh, whoops, I need my glasses, our beloved fellow worker, and Apvi, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me, <clears throat> excuse me, on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you, your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings uh, in you, to you, excuse me, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your, your spirit. Let's pray briefly before we get into this today. Lord, thank you so much for your words. Uh, we just thank you for how you speak to us through your word. And Lord, I just pray today that you would be with me. Uh, Lord, I do not want to speak my words. I want to only speak what you have to say. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would work through me as I'm up here, and in some cases you would maybe work in spite of me as I am an imperfect vessel. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be with everybody out here today, that all of us would have open hearts and minds as we hear your words, and we prepare to be changed by your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give you guys a little bit of background <clears throat> to this letter, okay? Because it does, there's a lot of things it doesn't say off the top, okay? So we have two main characters in this letter, Philemon and Onesimus, okay? Onesimus was Philemon's slave, okay? This was not unusual in Rome, in ancient Rome. Romans had slaves, okay? Onesimus probably uh, was born into this, 
Okay, this is something that he just grew into. Uh, his parents were probably slaves, and he was probably born into the household, and that was just the way his life was going to be. There wasn't really any two ways about it. Okay, he was going to be a slave. Well, at some point, Onesimus decided to run away. You know, I mean, is that really shocking, right? I mean, if you were a slave, you might make a decision at some point to say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, so I'm going to run away. Now, the risks are pretty high here because in Roman law, if a slave runs away and then is caught, he can be put to death, right? So that's the kind of risk that Onesimus had decided to take at this point in time. And it doesn't say how exactly, but when he ran away, he met up with Paul, okay? We all know Paul if we've read our Bibles. And so Paul, as he's had some relationship with Onesimus, well... Onesimus became a servant of Jesus Christ, okay? And he was discipled by Paul. And because this happened, Paul writes this letter to Philemon, the person who owns or whose slave Onesimus is. And what we see here is that Paul is asking for some reconciliation between two people, right? Right? There's things that have come between them. Now, obviously, there was already something between them and that one was a slave and one was the owner. (laughs) That would come between a relationship pretty heavily, I would think. But now, of course, you've added some other things. So the slave has run away. I'm sure the owner's not too thrilled about that. Okay? The interesting thing here is, you know, Paul even makes mention in here that he, uh, in verse 11, formerly he was useless to you but now he's useful. Well, the name Onesimus actually means useful. Um, So he's kind of using Onesimus' name here to kind of be like, hey, formerly he wasn't living up to his name. Okay, but things have changed since then. The other thing that we need to know here is that it wasn't unusual for slaves in Roman households to uh, be a little light-fingered with the owner's belongings. Okay, sometimes they stole from their owners and stuff like that. Uh, again, if you were a slave and you weren't getting paid for your job and you wanted something, well, maybe the best way to do that is just to take it, right? But Paul is writing this letter and he's saying, Philemon, things have changed. This, your relationship has changed. And he reminds, one of the first things he does is he reminds Philemon who he is in Jesus Christ. And he does this very early on. Uh, Right here, as we start in verse 4. Okay, remember the numbers are just so we can find our place. So that's what we're doing, finding our place. So, he says, I thank my God always and I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So Paul's opening up almost right away and just saying, Philemon, let me just remind you who you are as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Okay? You are a person that has love, not only for Jesus Christ, but for the saints. And I have seen this many times over. I have seen the way the saints are encouraged by who you are, by how you respond to them, and how you refresh them, and you've opened your house to them, and you have a church in your house, and you serve God, and all these wonderful things. 
I'm going to remind you of that because I'm about to ask you to do something. Even though Paul looks at it, he even tells him, he says, look, I can command you to do this, okay, because I am a leader to you. And so I could just tell you, look, this is the thing you have to do. End of story. That's the way it has to be. But no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you because this should be part of who you are now as a follower of Jesus Christ. And because I've seen the evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ for the way you serve, I'm comfortable with saying, I'm just going to ask you to do the right thing. So that's what he does. He moves forward and he says, look, Philemon, I, 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 Onesimus is, a, is also a new creation now. He's been with me. I've discipled him. This man has a heart for Jesus just like you do. And so I want you to accept him back. But I don't want you to accept him back the way you had him in your house former, formerly. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying, hey, let's forgive this guy. He can be your slave once again. You know, let's, let's not seek out the death penalty or anything like that. It's not what he's asking. He's saying, I want you to bring him back into his house as a brother in Christ. This relationship has changed. Now, I don't know if Onesimus is going to go back and say, hey, I'm more than happy to serve in your house again. Maybe he will. I don't know. It doesn't say anything about that. All it's telling us is that Paul is saying, hey, look, Philemon, you need to be able to bring this guy back into your household as a brother in Christ. You need to be willing to do that because he is now part of the body of Christ. Your brothers brothers in the Lord. And so we can't leave a broken, shattered relationship in this body. Why is that? How many of you have ever had a pretty severe injury or an illness or anything like that? Anybody? Broken leg, broken arm, massive illness, anything like that? Okay. Pretty much everybody at some point has had that, okay? Now, I used to play football um, when I was younger. American football, just for my kids to (laughs) separate those two. Um, I used to play football when I was a kid. And uh, I remember I fractured my foot one time while I was playing football. And so that put me on crutches for a while. And one thing you learn really quickly is the, the part of your body that gets injured is not the only part of your body that hurts <laughs> when you have an injury, right? Like, the injured part of your body affects everything else about what your body is doing, right? I mean, I, my, my, of course my foot was the thing that really hurt the most, right? I mean, I had fractured bones in there. That hurt. But, I mean, my goodness, you get crutches, you know, and so you're leaning on these crutches. Your arms hurt. Your shoulders hurt. You have your leg up here in the air all the time. Now this muscle hurts and cramps up and all this other stuff, and now I can't walk, and this leg gets tired, and now I have a headache because of all the extra things I'm doing, and so on. And your body just falls to pieces because of one thing that happened, right? And it's because your body doesn't have a unity anymore, right? There's something broken within your body. There's something wrong. There's a problem there. And your whole body is telling you, not just the sight of the break or not just the sight of the pain. Your whole body is trying to say, hey, there's a problem here. The body of Christ is no different. You might think that the issue you have 
between you and somebody else in the church is just between you and somebody else. But it's not. It affects the body of Christ. The whole body hurts. The whole body experiences something because of it. The whole body loses something because of the break you have with somebody else. That's what Paul is telling Philemon here. We cannot leave this alone. And Paul even says, you know what? I realize there's a financial issue here too. I realize, now I don't know what it is. I don't know if Philemon stole something. It just doesn't say. But what Paul says is, I know there's a financial problem here between you guys. Right? I know there's something going on. So, you know what? He can't pay it back to you. But, I'm going to pay it. Right? Look, if money is going to be a problem, if that's going to be the sticking point, if that's going to be the issue that's going to lie between you, if that's going to be something that's going to hang you up as to receiving this, this brother back into your home, great, okay, fine. I'll pay the money. Me da igual. Vale? Sorry. <laughs> Makes no difference to me. Okay? I will do that. I will do that. I will pay that. Now, sometimes that might be required in solving a break between two people. And I will look at the pastor and the church leadership more heavily on this one. Okay? Because Paul is the leader in this, right? Paul is the, the guy who has discipled Philemon. He probably brought him to Christ. Paul is the one that brought him up. So he's the leader. And Paul is saying, I'm going to make the demonstration of the gospel in your life by sacrificing something of me so that there can be repair in the body of Christ. That may be required of you, and especially if you're a pastor or a church leader, that might be something that you need to do. But not always. The other thing that needs to happen too, though, is Philemon just needs to listen to leadership, right? And he needs to be willing to hear that he's wrong. And he might say, well, hey, that guy ran away from me. He's the one that ran away. He's the one that either stole or whatever the financial situation was. He's the one that did that, not me. I didn't do that. Paul still says, yeah, but it's your responsibility to start repairing this relationship. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But you need to invite him back. You need to allow him back in. He needs to be back in your house because now your brother's in Christ. And your house, as I've said before, is a place where you've demonstrated God's love to the saints over and over and over again. And I'm asking you to do it one more time. And I'm asking you to do it in a very personal way. You know, this, this book, the Word of God, the reason I chose Philemon and this letter of reconciliation is because, really, every book of the Bible points to the same thing. 
And that's about us being reconciled to God. How, you might wonder, how, how is that the case? I mean, this is an interesting story, and this is great, and it really shows God's work in the life of Philemon, and it shows how two people are supposed to come together, and it shows the encouragement that Paul gives, but I don't see the connection. How many have heard the word sin? Most of us have heard that word. Yeah. There's a lot of ways that people describe sin. Many, many ways. Oh, it's the the bad things we do. It's the things that God doesn't like. It's the things that are against God's character. So on and so on and so on. And there are a lot of ways that we can define sin. Ultimately, what sin is, is how we have destroyed the relationship that we had between God and ourselves. Sin is when we said... And all of us have said this, myself included. When we said, God, I don't need you. I can do this myself. I can make my own decisions. I can live the way I choose to live. I can define right and wrong for myself. Your definitions are not Needed. No thank you. I don't like them. I don't want them. I'll go it alone. That is sin. That is what sin stems from. Is our looking at God and saying, you created me, or in some cases you didn't even create me. So therefore, I don't need you. Would that create a break in a relationship? Absolutely. If you, if any of us, if I went up to my own father, and he's not God, he's not perfect, but if I said, man, dad, I, was, you, I grew up in your house, and you fed me, and you provided clothing, and I mean, just the list goes on and on. And I said, you know what, though? I don't need you. Nor do I need your input in my life. How's my relationship with my dad going to be after that? Pretty well non-existent, right? Right? And that's what we've done. We've said that to God multiple times. Multiple times. Not just once. Practically daily. At some point in time, all of us make a decision at least, at least once a day where, we've de- where we decide, no thank you, God. I've got this myself. But God has given us an opportunity for reconciliation. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people may even down the road realize, like, oh, man, 
what have I done? I've really broken my relationship with God. It's all messed up. And so they start doing good things. Oh, I gotta do some good things. Man, I'm gonna start doing some good works. Oh yeah, I'm gonna feed the, feed the hungry. And I'm gonna go to the homeless shelter every weekend. And I'm gonna do this or that. I'm gonna pray the rosary. I'm gonna, you know, whatever these good things are. God is perfect. And if we think that we're going to climb that wall of perfect with good works, we have a major problem. Because all it took was that one time that we were imperfect, the one time that we said, no, I'll do this myself. No, I don't want to do what you say. No, I'm going to do my own thing. No, this is the way it's going to be instead. I'm not going to listen to your words. I'm going to listen to my words. It just took the one time, and we're no longer perfect. Perfect went out the window a long time ago, folks. Okay? We're not anywhere near perfect at all. And God is. And so somehow, in our minds, we get into this idea that, okay, but I can somehow reconstruct perfect. Somehow I can figure that out. I can make it, I can make myself perfect again. Nope. You can't. That's the bad news. Oh, nuts. I'm stuck. But God knows this. And the thing is, when God created you, he created you because he wanted to have a relationship with you. Each and every person in here. He wants to know you personally, and more importantly, he wants you to know him personally and intimately. That was the whole purpose. That was the whole reason. So this break in relationship is very painful for him. This is not what he wants. And he knows we can't fix it ourselves. He knows this. So he says exactly as Paul has said to Philemon, all right, I'll pay the bill that you can't pay. I'll send my perfect son to earth as a man. He'll grow up and live a perfect life, something none of you have done. And then he will take your sins, your denials of me, all the times that you said, I can do this on my own, all the times that said, it doesn't even matter if I think I can do it on my own or not, I'm just going to do this because I want to, I'm going to do this because in, in spite of you, God, all of those things, and he's going to take those upon himself and pay the penalty that was meant for us, which is death. Now, Again, we look at a lot of things in the Bible and we hear 
about death and we hear about hell and we hear about heaven. And I want us to remember, once again, everything boils down to the relationship that we have with God and us. And so when we hear about death and hell, a lot of images come into our our minds right away. Oh my goodness, the lake of fire. Oh my goodness, it's going to be dark down there. Oh, it's going to be hot. If you think it's hot here, you think it's hot. We say a lot of things about that. What hell really is, is eternal, broken relationship, separation from God. Forever. Hell is when you have said to God, I don't want you, I don't want to have anything to do with you, I don't need you. And God relents and says, it hurts me, but I will give you what you ask. And he separates you completely from him, just as you asked. Forever. Heaven Heaven is a renewed, restored relationship with him. When we admit, when we say, man, look what I have done to this relationship between you and I. All through my selfish reasons, my selfish ambitions, my desire to live only for myself. And heaven, streets of gold, mansions, all those things we picture, they're all in the Bible, and that's all great. But folks, that's not what I'm looking forward to. I hope that's not what you're looking forward to. I'm looking forward to a 100% restored relationship with my God. I will be able to sit face to face with him in perfect relationship once again. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. That's all there was to it. Christ was offered as a gift to us. Do we have any 16-year-olds in the... I see a hand up there, but hidden behind a bunch of screens, so all I see is a hand. Hey, there we are. Okay, I see a hand up there. All right, go ahead and stand up for me. I want to be able to see you. All right, do you have your driver's license yet? Okay, do you want a car? Yeah? You want a car? Okay, whose car is this right now? My kids know that it's actually my parents' car, so... Whose car is this right now? I want you to answer up top. Excellent. Very good. It's still my car. Why? I haven't given it to you. And what else? You haven't received it yet. You haven't taken it yet. The keys are still hanging on my finger. Still my car. And it's going to remain that way. So, (laughs) thank you for being part of the illustration, though. (laughs) Look, God has offered us a gift through Jesus Christ, right? He sent his son. He says, I've paid the penalty for your sins. I have done everything to repair this relationship between us. 
And he's offered it out, just like I did that car, right? I, he puts it out there and he says, I have a gift for you. I have a gift for you. This shows how much I love you. I want to be back in relationship with you. And then so many of us say, once again, I don't need you. I don't want that. That's not the gift I want. I want something else. I want a gift that I'm more comfortable with. I want a gift that makes more sense for me. Oh, Lord, if you could just give me a bigger house, that would be a great gift. Oh, Lord, if you could give me a million dollars, that'd be an amazing gift. Oh, Lord, if you could make it so I could live in the perfect job for me, that would be fantastic. No, you're giving me something else. Until we realize that none of those things fill us, none of those things keep us satisfied, none of those things make us right with God. None of that does. Sometimes we need to experience it before we realize it. Some of us don't. Lord works in people differently. Maybe this is your first Sunday here. I don't know. I see a lot of familiar faces, but I also see a lot of faces that aren't very familiar. And that doesn't mean it's your first time here. It just means I'm a missionary. I'm here once every four years. So, <laughs> But some of you might be visitors. Some of this might be new information. Maybe it's information you've heard many, many times. I don't know. But I want to tell you, and I want to encourage you, that I've met a lot of people, some of them here in the States, some of them in Spain, some in various other locations, and people have a lot of reasons for not returning to Christ, and sometimes those reasons are because people look and say, how could God ever forgive me for the things that I've done? I've done too many wrong things. I know the pit is too deep. But see, we have a really wrong view of things done wrong. Part of the reason why we try to use works to build ourselves up is we think everything is on a scale. We think everything is this whole measurable thing, like, oh, but I've done all of these things wrong, so it's so much harder to save me than it was the other guy who, in your mind, has only done a few things wrong. I'll tell you something, though. Compared to perfect, any amount of imperfection, is, it's the same. A little imperfect as opposed to a lot of imperfect, it doesn't make any difference. It's imperfect. It's lost. It's gone forever. And so when God says, I'm going to pay the penalty, and through Jesus Christ, you will once again appear to be perfect, it doesn't matter, it, it doesn't matter how much there was to it. You might look back and say, oh man, but I did all this list of things. Yeah, God paid for all that stuff. All of it. Yeah, that too. Whatever's going on in your mind. Yes, he paid for that. We think back 
to when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Before he's crucified. And, man, I remember reading this portion of Scripture, and he's in there, and he's, he knows he's about to be put up on the cross. And he's sweating drops of blood. He's under a tremendous amount of stress and concern. And comparatively speaking, I would look at other people who have died for the name of Jesus Christ, and they all died with joy. And I was like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> Something's different here. Stephen dies smiling. I mean, all these guys, they're going to, and, and they're being martyred, and they're like, praise God, I'm living for Jesus. And Jesus is over here, and he's pained. Why? It's not because he didn't want to do this for us. But I want you to think about the depth of what he had to experience for you, for all of the sins, for all the things that you've done, for all the times you've denied him. And that was something that he had experienced that he had never experienced before and he's never going to experience again. And it was his separation from God the Father. He never had to do that before. He's always been one with the Father through all eternity. Perfect harmony. But in order to pay for my sins, for your sins, he has to do something that has never, ever happened. And he has to feel a separation from his Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why is it so different when we see other martyrs pass away and they seem joyful? Because they're being reconnected to God the Father and to Jesus Christ. That's the joy they experience. God loves you so much that he did something never done in all of eternity. So that he could reconnect you with God the Father. That's how important this is. That's how much he's pursuing you. That's how much he wants that relationship with you. That's how much you being around wasn't an accident, a mistake, something gone wrong. I know people feel that way sometimes. I'm, I shouldn't be here. There's something wrong with me. Oh, I was born as a mistake. Or I, No, you weren't. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to be personal with you. He wants to spend time with you and love you for who you are. That's why he created you. That is exactly why he created you. That should give us so much encouragement that we have a purpose here. It's to be united with the one true God. The one true God who loves us, who created us so that we could be with him. That's what this is all about. That's what every page of this book comes back to is God wants to reconcile us with him. Nothing more. That's what he wants. 
desperately. Even though we're the ones that are at fault. We're the ones that cause the separation. It's our fault. It's my fault. Nobody else's. My separation from God didn't stem because of anything you did or you did or somebody outside did. It was because of me. The blame is on me. But God fixes it for me. God says, just like Paul said to Philemon, is there a problem here? Is there, is there a break in relationship? Is there something that can be fixed? Fine, I will take that on. Because this relationship is important. It's the most important thing right now. And that's what Jesus did for us. He took that on. He said, I'm going to pay this payment. This is the payment that I can pay. You have no hope of paying that. I'm going to pay it so that we can be reunited. Because I want to be reunited. I want to be reunited with you. Yeah, I understand all that stuff in your background. Yes, I understand you struggled over here. Yes, I understand you denied me over here multiple times. I understand all of that. I'm paying for all of that because I want to have a relationship with you. Everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. I don't know if this is the first time you're hearing this or not. I don't know if this is brand new to you or if you've heard it hundreds of times. But what I do know is that God is pursuing you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And if today... For the first time, you're realizing, yes, that is what I want. I want to be reunited in my relationship with God. I want to have a personal relationship with a God who created me. Then I want you to pray with me. And there's nothing magic or special about the words I'm using. You can speak to God on a personal level. But maybe what you want to say to God is something like this. Lord, I have denied you. I have wronged you. I have told you that I don't need you, that I don't want you. I have sinned against you. And I'm sorry. And it is a payment that I can't pay for myself. But I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to pay this payment for me. And Lord, I want to put my faith in that. And I want to know it is sufficient that you have paid the price for the wrongs that I have done against you. Lord, please today take charge of my life. I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know I have a lot of growing to do. But Lord, please, please, please allow me to begin growing with you once again. All because of what Jesus did 
not because of what I've done. Amen. I don't know if that's the if any of you have prayed that today or have said something similar in your your own words today. Uh, that you wanted to start your relationship anew with Jesus Christ today. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up if you did. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you did. What I am going to do is I'm going to ask the pastor to stand up. And I'm going to ask the leadership to stand up of the church. The deacons, trustees, anybody who's part of the church leadership. And it's just the pastor. Oh, wow, that's spooky. All right. So they're up front. Uh, any wives as well um, of these the gentlemen, uh, please stand up. Okay, the reason I asked them to stand up is if that was the first time that you've prayed with that, or that's the first time that you said, God, come into my life, or even if it wasn't, and you were like, boy, I just have a lot of questions about what was said here today. I know for a fact, each and every one of these individuals would love to talk to you. And that's why I had them stand up. I want you to see them so you know who to approach. I'm not here all the time. I would love to talk to you too, but if you decide you want to talk next week, sorry, I'm not around. But they are. They would love to talk to you. And listen, folks, this is not an overnight thing. Nobody expects you to make a decision like this and not have problems or hurts. You guys can sit down if you want. Nobody expects you to change in one day. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be hardships that you're going to go through. But the people that you've seen standing recently, they want to support you. They want to go through that with you. They want to encourage you. They want to disciple you. And guess what? They're just as broken as you are. Even the pastor. Okay? Even me, the missionary you sent out to Spain, I'm just as screwed up as the rest of you. Isn't that a way to raise support right there? <laughs> okay? But it's true. I need other believers just like everybody else. And I need to go through things with believers just like everybody else. So please, 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 if you have questions, if you did Pray that prayer. If you made that decision today, please ch chat with any one of these guys. I know they would just absolutely love to hear from you and begin to grow with you. Thank you.